This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. The biggest thing that I found is it's okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to have something drop and break. It's okay to have something messed up because it can always be repaired. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes. Today, I get the opportunity to talk with Steve Cook, business owner and fellow podcast host of the Better Business Podcast. Welcome, Steve. Thank you so much, Bob. Great to have you here. So a recent post I put on my Facebook page asked simply, when did you start in retail? And that post has over 4,000 comments. People start early. So how about you? Man, I started in, I believe it was fourth or fifth grade. My parents owned a chain of Quiznos franchise, the sandwich place. Quiznos subs! The little Quiznos subs with the little rat commercial and... uh, those were the uh, infamous questions that customers asked about the rat commercials and stuff. So yeah, so I started washing dishes. I had a little jean jean shirt that I used to wear with a Quiznos on it, and they would stick me in the back as a uh, fourth or fifth grader and make me work on the weekends. I think they were they were basically just babysitting, but uh, that kind of gave us something to do, me and my siblings. So, did they pay you? They did a little bit uh, every now and then. I don't remember too much uh, at that age, but. I mean, when I got into uh, 12, 13, 14, that type of age, I actually began to uh, get a an, an actual check. And uh, my dad set me up an IRA, things like that. And uh, then I became a shift leader when I was in high school for the night crew. That was quite so, a big trend. I mean, that was a that brand early on was hitting on all fours. I love their stuff. Don't look at the calorie content, but they were amazing. So you go from that to equine. How does that come about. Yeah. So both grandpas on both sides were uh, in the feed business. My grandpa on my dad's side was a a racehorse breeder. uh, So he bred and sold racehorse babies and things like that. And then uh, my mom's side was a, uh, he worked for the Perina brand for many years. He retired from there actually um, running their mills and things like that. So that grandpa on my mom's side, he helped a friend start a uh, feed company that had some feed stores along with it. And uh, when that friend ended up getting a illness and wanted to sell his portion of the business. And so he sold out to my parents uh, who had kind of sold all their Quiznos and were in kind of a lull at the time. I wouldn't say retired, uh, but I guess technically they kind of were retired. They weren't doing anything at the at the time. And so they bought they bought one location in Oklahoma City. See, that's what I love about entrepreneurs. It's kind of like, okay, we conquered that. Now what? I just watched a a little movie with Tony Collette called Perfect Horse. I don't know if you've seen it, Mm. but it's about this woman in the Welsh area of uh, England, and she decides to get a group of 12 investors together and breed a racehorse and make her own little syndicate. And she says, why not? And she had been a champion pigeon racer and all these things. And I think that's what it kind of is. It's the thrill of of competition, right? And of getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's with a lot of entrepreneurs that it's a, uh, they're typically, they're very challenged focused. You know, they like to overcome a certain challenge or a hurdle. I think that's why you see a lot of 
entrepreneurs that take a company from very tiny to maybe publicly traded or something like that, they, they usually leave the company and then try to do it again. And again, I think a lot of entrepreneurs like the challenge more than they do the, the actual success sometimes. Yeah. Well, success is nice. I mean, I mean, success uh, is great too. (laughs) I just want to make sure, you know, since 2009, you built, you helped build your family's performance equine business to over 10 million in sales. So what's the secret to opening up new locations? Opening up new locations, uh, man, I would say getting one location down first would be the the secret. Um, you know, I think having a plan to actually have your one location to be um, profitable and profitable enough that you can actually pay someone to manage it. Um, A lot of times I think people try to think that they can run both companies half and half um, or both locations half and half. I've got a good friend that has tried to do that where he tried to run both half and half and then they both drop in sales and he's like, "Ah, I can't figure it out how I can be at both. You know? Um, I think that's the, that's the catch is to build one location up enough where you can actually hire someone to manage that and then save up enough money where you can actually have someone manage the other location as well. And then, um, obviously you're not going to check out at that point. You still have to be very involved, but I think that that would be where a lot of entrepreneurs fail is they think they can run both locations half heartedly. Well, and it's really hard if you are a, I need to be in on every decision because mm. you have tied yourself to that first one so tightly that they're afraid you're going to bite their head off or something goes wrong. And then you're off at the other store and then you're getting calls and you're just exhausted. It's like you, it reminds me when I was learning how to water ski. And, you know, at some point when you're under the water, you realize, oh, I could let go of the rope. You know, it's that same <laughs> idea. Like, oh, I could fix this if I just didn't have to be so afraid. And I said, well, what would you do if you couldn't have reached me? What would your two choices have been? And they say, oh, I would have done this or this. Like, which did you choose? I chose B. Excellent. Next time I might do it differently. But we don't teach that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, the challenge that we don't teach that leadership. So how did you get taught that? I mean, you know, what what bad story do you have to tell me about a time that you didn't maybe delegate as well as you might have? Well, I think you um, you learn to delegate when you basically find out if you want to go past a certain point in your entrepreneurial journey that you can't do it alone. And I think my biggest uh, lesson in delegation would be that when you try to um, when you try to do something with um, somebody else, as far as uh, maybe have somebody manage a location or have somebody be in charge of a certain area of your operation, that the biggest thing that I found is it's okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to have something drop and break. It's okay to have something messed up because it can always be repaired. You know, I've had some of our biggest customers, uh, somebody put something in the wrong place or somebody, you know, said something that wasn't that great to one of our biggest customers. And I had to call and apologize. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, hey, at least, you know, look at all the things that went well when I wasn't being directly involved where yes, things do drop and break, but you can apologize or you can give the money back or you can, you know, fix it later. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are so scared of that embarrassment. And I've had that before where um, I've had an uncle or an aunt or a friend go to one of our locations and they didn't receive the best customer service or we were out of something or, you know, something like that. I think that's embarrassing for entrepreneurs and 
my name is literally on the building, you know, <laughs> that type of that attitude that, man, that's so embarrassing because they'll text you, you know, uh, Hey, I went by your location. The guy, <laughs> the guy didn't really seem like he knew what he was doing or whatever. It, it's embarrassing. But I think if you're okay with a bit of embarrassment that, um, it's okay to, to mess things up because the greater, the greater purpose is, Hey, I can build a larger business if I'm okay with a little bit of that. I think that's great. I think that is such an unsung story of you're the entrepreneur and everyone's a mystery shopper. You know, I went by, mm. three lights were out. Mm -hmm. I can't believe you would let three <laughs> lights be out on a busy night. Uh, thanks. Or, you know, they just, I want you to know, I was in your store and the drink wasn't made the way I wanted it. Oh, yeah, some new girl. She doesn't know it. That's why they're new. Uh-huh. I get that. You know, but yeah. <laughs> there seems to be this, this pleasure. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to help. And you're like, are you though? You know, in mm. your head, because you know, your big customers uh, know what it goes through, especially now, right? Where training and motivation, and there's an awful lot of things on the table that we aren't, you know, you should just be glad we're open kids. So yeah. <laughs> there's a certain amount of that. Um, what's the biggest mistake you learned from uh, early on from working with the public? Well, that might've been in Quiznos or, you know, that one mistake that, that like, mm, that's a big one. You know, that, that becomes one that's really high up in your playbook. It's not a, oh, three lights are out. This is a major deal for us. What would an example of that be? I think it's uh, when you when you lose trust in someone. I think that I, I have made the wrong choice um, with people before that I was too scared to have communication with a customer. Um, a specific example, we changed the way that we did a delivery thing. And so what we ended up doing was we, we had this like certain discount that we gave, like a certain size customer. And then we kind of did away with that discount, but then we started charging for delivery, things like that. So we, we just kind of like pivoted and it was a long process. It took months or something like that. and years ago, I've tried to be better at this since that time, but I used to be so terrible at communication. I would, I would be anxious about communicating bad news, especially with customers and things. Um, and I had this one customer that infamously uh, complained all the time, no matter what type of deal, but was a great customer as far as the amount that they spent, as far as the amount that they spent with us. And so I, I didn't call and communicate that we were changing the way that we did things. Well, the way that we actually- I'm sure that made everything better. Yeah, I'm so sure that helped. I thought that it would just kind of maybe uh, just get slid by and it did for, for months and months. But uh, the way that we actually build them was we just kind of ran their credit card through and things like that. So they called so they didn't and see it until someone looked at it several months later and uh, called and not only ripped my head off, uh, but continued to, you know, say that they didn't trust me, things like that. Well, it came many, many more times in the future, it it actually hurt our reputation because we rolled out another program or something um, similar to that. And I said, hey, we're going to do this new program. Well, how do I know you're going to actually do that is what they said. And I remember thinking like, well, you can just trust me, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm telling you that's what we're doing. And and I got to, I, I remember thinking like, whoa, like in their eyes, I'm, I'm probably like a little bit deceiving and a liar. And, you know, it was, it was kind of a self-reflection moment that, um, if you ever lose someone's trust, it's hard to earn it back. And I would say that that's the biggest thing that I think is not okay with customers is when you say you're going to do something to actually do it, whether that's have a delivery there, you know, you can make certain pro, you know, and, and we're, we make certain promises we're feeding 
caged animals. So if we don't show up with a certain delivery or whatever, but I think when people have a, a deep trust with you, like, Oh, I actually, I know Steve, he's the owner. He'll, he'll actually, he'll, he'll make sure it's done or whatever. I think when you have that trust with somebody, not that you won't make a mistake, but that when you say something, you can, you can take that check to the bank. I love that, that accountability and that that's your North star, because if we lose trust, I remember the social network, the movie about Facebook when it started and his co-founder, you know, was going to stop payment on the check. And he's like, don't you understand if we go down, we lose trust. We can mm. never go down. Yeah. And I thought that was really, a, a, it was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, social media going down would have been a big deal in the early days. Yeah. And nowadays, we probably were like, great. It was down for an hour. I didn't have my phone. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so looking at many family businesses, you'd think it's all marshmallows and unicorns and rainbows. So what are some of the best ways for a, a family business to be run that you've seen? Man, um, my dad has taught me this, you know, I, I haven't had the opportunity to work with, I've got two kids, but they're not old enough to be actually working more than just uh, picking up trash and washing windows. I got a six year old that uh, acts like she works a little bit, but, uh, but my dad has taught me quite a bit about working well with family. We have had been blessed to have an incredible working relationship. I, I think that the biggest thing that I see that me and my dad have that other failed family ventures and things like that would be communication. My dad has definitely been incredibly over communicative. I don't know how to exactly say that um, with, with everything involved in the business. So here's the future that I see for you. Here's the um, back in the day when it was just, I was just a, a paid manager. It was, here's the salary that you're getting and everything was written down in a contract form. And he was always upfront with it. This is not a contract that I'm going to sue you if you break it, or you're going to sue me if we break it. This is a contract. So that way we both remember what we said and we both remember what we agreed to. Um, and I think a lot of families don't take that relationship as seriously because they're like, well, we're family. I can trust you. But people forget. Um, people have a change in mind. People have a change in emotion, their emotional state. They change what they need. They, I, you know, what I needed as a 21 year old kid changed when I'm now I'm 31. Um, that, that relationship changed. I have a wife now. I can't, you know, I can't do the things that I used to do when I was 21. And so not only that communication, but also, I mean, very written communication. I think a lot of families can um, really benefit from that. I think any business can do that. The whole idea, you know, co-owners, you hear people like, oh, my co-owner doesn't do anything. And it's like, what was your agreement? Well, we were friends. It's like, uh, that's not an agreement. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I think the best, particularly with family businesses, I think it's great when, you know, let's say the mom says, all right, well, I'm all personnel. You can't, you can't say anything about the personnel. You can't just walk through the store and say something about somebody. You're going to go through me. And then the other person is like, all right, well, I'm all the ordering, the accounting. So like, you can't say, why can't we get this and this? We, you talk to me and we'll do it. But I think when you allow all those things to not be siloed, then it's really confusing for employees because they don't know what the hell do I listen to him or to her? And uh, I think that makes it really tough. So what do you like about working in retail? I mean, you know, besides the great tips you made at Quiznos. <laughs> um, man, retail, I would say is, it is the tried and true way to make money in my mind. I think that there's a lot of, um, I've tried my hand at uh, different e-commerce uh, 
little ventures and, and media things and, you know, different things like that. And I feel like retail is something that is way more consistent and um, can actually build a, for lack of better terms, a fortune for someone that uh, retail is more of a tried and true business, I feel like, than a lot of these e-commerce ventures and things like that, that people try to get into. And, and really, when you look at the statistics of how many, how much of commerce in the United States or really even worldwide is done in retail versus e-commerce, it's not even, I guess it's getting closer, but it's still a far, far majority of businesses done in retail. And people don't, it's like they don't either know that or talk about it anymore, or maybe just because it's not the new girl in school anymore or what. But, um, you know, I think that retail is, is how you can actually build a foundation in your business. Now, whether you go off and do something different later or something like that, but I think if you ever have aspirations of building a business, it's fundamental for you to learn the the fundamentals of retail. I agree with that. That's where you learn that it's about somebody else, uh, not you. If you if you master that, life is easy. Yes. <laughs> you don't master that. I think you got a tough time. Well, before we continue, we love our loyal listeners. If you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating review after this episode with Steve, I'd appreciate it. And we'll return after this word from SalesRx online retail sales training hosted by yours truly. As the pandemic restrictions have ended, customers are being drawn back to brick and mortar stores. And online sales, well, they're declining. What do you need to convert more lookers to buyers and help those who came in to buy just one item to take home more? Well, you train your crew how to engage a stranger and make the sale. Now that's gotten harder since the pandemic, but there's an easy solution. SalesRx, my online retail sales training program, which is in use on four continents with hundreds and thousands of learners. It's a smart way to boost conversions and add-ons. Just go to salesrx.com to learn more. Now back to our program. All right, we're back with Steve Cook, the host of the Better Business Podcast and a successful entrepreneur. Now, you have your own YouTube channel, Steve's Horse Show. And one of the more riveting episodes I viewed was, which dewormer should I use? (laughs) So how did you come up with the idea and what makes for compelling video? Uh, well, how did I come up with the idea? I think, you know, I, I listen to customers in the store. That's a very common question. I just think of what are the top 10 most common questions we get frequently asked questions, but yeah, that's how I come up with the content of anything is, um, any videos that we make is what, what most commonly we get asked either on uh, video platforms or in the stores. And I would be lying if I didn't say that uh, I knew that some of the social uh, algorithms would uh, preference a dewormer video right now. And so that's why I kind of rebooted that one. Um, But listen, uh, that was that's a second that's a secondary uh, motivation. But yeah, compelling video. I I I get so tired of uh, small business owners that start a video and it's it's what we were just talking about uh, just before this that it's about them. So it's we have this dewormer, we have this product, we have this, um, we have a lot of this, so it's on sale, or we just brought this product in, or we just brought, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think that when I make a video, especially our TikTok, we have, I think we had, it was just 
under 1 million views on our TikTok in the last 60 days. Um, and that was not on dewormer. That was not, was on, that no, on? there was some on dewormer, but it was, it was spread over all the videos that we've done in the last 60 days. Um, wow. so that was, that's the, what I have in mind when I make a video is a, if someone has never seen me or my business or anything, what would they want to see? And not assume that, you know, either A, they know me, it's not a bunch of inside jokes, it's not a bunch of, you know, things like that. And it's also what would they want to see? What would help someone? Um, so often people make videos with their, alter, they, they think of their end goal, and then they start making the video to go towards that. So I want to sell this crap. So what would my video, what, what is going to make a good video to reach that purpose? And people don't want to watch that. And the craziest part about it is when you make videos that people would want to see, questions that people would have, it, it sells stuff so much more of the time than when you try to sell your stuff. It's so crazy. The, the more I try not to sell things, the more I sell things. It's so insane. We, uh, we recently changed our email campaign stuff a little bit from basically our, the guy that sends out the email stuff. He said, Hey, you know, I think it's good to mix in products and, and mix in a little bit of our services on email, blah, blah, blah. So we started doing that and our email open rates got down to where they were like, uh, like 11 or 12% sometimes on average. And I was like, man, I just don't feel like, you know, why is that? And he's like, well, that's, you know, industry, blah, blah, blah. And I said, what if we just didn't sell anything? Like we just, I, I, to a horse owner, what would they want to see? They'd want to see YouTube videos. They'd want to see explanation, you know, instructional things, whatever. Let's only put that stuff in. If they click the links, blah, blah, blah. Our link clicks went up. Our open rates went to like 35% on average. Our, you know, everything goes up. And people are clicking on our website and shopping our products more. And I'm not selling a single thing in an email. Yeah, but you're adding value. That's the that's the difference, right? It, like you said, it's about them first. And I would say that's the biggest that's the biggest part of of making any video is how can I add value to this person's life in this particular question or this, you know, thing. And so then you just have to figure out what people are actually asking. I think a lot of people, you know, if you're a plumber, you might um, have a lot more complex questions in your mind. You have to actually know what people are asking, not, not, um, you know, in the, in the horse community, you can get so into the weeds of, well, this horse has, uh, you know, EPM. And a lot of times when they have EPM, their uh, starch and sugar levels are off and they're, you know, you can get so into the weeds that people are like, Whoa, I don't, I don't know anything about any of this, you know, I um, feel stupid. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and it gets old after you make 17 videos over how to get my horse to gain weight or how to get my horse to lose weight. But that's what people are asking. Right. And that's what pe keeps people coming back over and over. Um, wow. So how do you differentiate making a, a TikTok video than YouTube? Obviously, it's, you know, tall. It's not side by side, but it's also shorter. I mean, it's, you know, and are you dancing with your shirt off and suddenly there's a horse under your arm and, you know, sparkles or I, I admit I'm flummoxed by Tim TikTok. I just haven't <laughs> mastered it yet. And I think I'm just too old and my, my clients are not typically on TikTok, but your <laughs> clients totally are on TikTok. So I totally get it. 
Yeah, I would say it's a uh, it's just like in real life when you when you go to a certain uh, area or a certain party or a certain environment, you act a certain way where you would act differently in another area. So TikTok is going to be a um, very it's almost like a speed dating environment where you have a lot of um, fast interactions with people and it's not very deep. It's not very um you know, uh, detailed and things like that, because you, how detailed can you get? And, um, some people have access to the 10 minute video thing. Um, but how deep can you get in a three minute or less video is, um, it's pretty challenging. And you also have to remember if you went to a speed dating environment and you said, all right, so let's pump the brakes here and talk about starch and sugar levels with uh, horse feed and horse nutrition. People are going to be like, whoa, whoa, man, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm kind of interested in that, but I'm not, you know, um, where YouTube, they're searching for a particular question. They can see the length of the video is 10 minutes. They, they, they have a different mindset. So I would say that's what a lot of people forget when they go into these different social media platforms is they forget how you would act in a different setting um, in real life. Um, just like you wouldn't uh, be very serious in that is the same way you wouldn't go into YouTube and, and do some sort of trending dance or um, sound or anything like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that in YouTube. Um, just like you wouldn't do that in a party. You wouldn't act like um, a very serious therapist session that's supposed to last an hour long. You wouldn't go in there and be like, all right, so we got a few minutes here. So um, just a little bit about me, you know, um, I'm from this town and I have a good relationship with my wife right now, but blah, blah, blah. You wouldn't act that way, but you would in a speed dating. So I just think that people forget, um, like on Facebook, they you make a lot of family references and, and um, experiences and things like that. That's how people act in that world because there's they just saw a picture of their um, grandkid. They just saw a picture of their uh, cousin's kids. They just got a birthday party invite. And then you bring up a post about where have you worked in retail? Um, or tell me about the first time you worked in retail. Oh, that's sentimental. That's an experience I had, you know, Oh, I'd love to talk about that. Um, but you wouldn't do that in TikTok. You would, you would have a lot faster deal about, um, you know, here's one tip on working in a retail store. Here's one tip on how to get a retail job. Here's one tip, you know, it would be a lot faster and it'd be to a little bit different audience as well. So before we go past that, what's your TikTok handle? TikTok handle is uh, the the one for the business is Cook Feed. So that's the that's the feed store. And then I've got a bunch of podcast clips and stuff on the real Stephen Cook. Of course you do. So, uh, <laughs> well, we are coming to the close of here, but I just have to ask, tell me about selling Rubik's Cubes in the mail and why. <laughs> First off, what the hell is a Rubik's Cube for some of our listeners? And uh, yeah. Go. So like Rubik's we're on TikTok, not we're on YouTube. All right. TikTok explanation. Ruby's Cube is a small little uh, square that you try to line up all the colors. Um, most people, I think, uh, probably understand what uh, what that is if you've ever seen the little uh, crazy kids that can solve them in like 20 seconds. Um, so that's what a Ruby's Cube is. I read a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. And I was in my young 20s and got so fired up about uh, direct selling. And a lot of our customers don't come into the actual retail store. Uh, some of the larger commercial farms, they have anywhere from 100 to 500 horses. One of our customer has um, almost 600 horses. It's one of the largest farms in the United States. And they don't 
walk into a retail store and buy a few bags. They order semi loads of everything. Um, and so you don't wait on that customer to come into your store. You go get them or you should go get them or <laughs> try to go get them. Uh, so I got, I read this book and he talked about how to get attention um, from people, which is kind of what we were just talking about on social media. Another way to get attention is to be different. It's to be different from someone. So a lot of people send direct mail pieces with a lot of these farms. You can see where they're at and you can see their address, but you don't know how to call them. Uh, You don't know how to reach them on social media. If you show up, they'll say they're not there or whatever. So you're trying to just get their attention somehow. And a lot of times you can get their address. So I read this book and it talked about um, how to do a different direct mail piece. And one of those was you do put something in a direct mail piece that is weird enough that they would have to stop and say, what the heck is this? And so you send something to them and then you follow up. Um, so what I would do is I would, I would get on a Oriental trading company and order uh, 20 of something. And I would, I had a list of some of the biggest farms in Oklahoma. And I found out that some of the biggest farms in Oklahoma don't have anyone calling on them because everyone's like, Oh, they're, they're one of the biggest farms. I'm sure they're serviced by somebody. And so I was like, forget it. I'm just going to try to call on everybody and we'll see what happens. And I found out that no one was calling on them. So they weren't annoyed by it at all. It was kind of crazy. Um, but what I do is I'd send a direct mail piece and then I follow up about a week later and say, Hey, this is Steve. I was just making sure you got the letter that I sent to you. Uh, what letter? Um, well, I sent you a letter. It was talking about how to save money on uh, how to be, or if you're puzzled about how to save money on feed, you know, I, I was the guy for you, blah, blah, blah. And they're, uh, no, I didn't get it. It had a Rubik's cube in it. Oh, what the heck was that? And it was like a weird icebreaker and they actually remember getting it. Every one of them remembered getting it. And so anyways, the, it, it, it got me probably the top three biggest customers we have right now. That campaign actually got me all of those customers. Um, two of them I sent and sent and sent. And finally they said, you, yeah, come on down here. You know, I just want to come by and get to know you a little bit better. You know, blah, blah, blah. I sent a train whistle and said, Choo choo! Are you ready for saving money on hay and feed or something like that? I sent a uh, I'm trying to remember. I sent one of those little rattler things. I sent a, a whoopee cushion in one of them and said, "Are you farting out on your business?" I mean, it was all kinds of different different things like that. But uh, so I sent it to several and got a bunch of new customers on it. But I sent one, um, and the guy would literally uh, like hang up on me, like I was a telemarketer. And uh, so anyways, they, he hangs up on me, hangs up on me. Finally, I got a hold of his assistant one day um, in the office and said, hey, I'm looking to t- talk to, uh, he's a really good customer now, so I hate to blast, I'm sure he won't listen to this. I said, can I talk to Danny? And they said, uh, yeah, uh, let me see if he's here. So they they forgot to put me on hold and they were actually just like kind of holding the phone here and they forgot to put me on hold. Who is it? And uh, she said, I don't know, it, it sounds, he sounds like he knows you because I would call and ask for them and I'd say, Hey, this is Steve. Can I talk to Danny? I would, I would try to keep control so they wouldn't say, you know, who are you with or whatever. And, and, uh, they said, you know, uh, okay. Can you talk to Danny? I said, yeah. And they said, who who are you with? I said, this is Steve. I was just needing to talk to him. And, uh, Oh, Oh, okay. And so they said, it sounds like, it sounds like he knows you. And he's like, okay. And, uh, so anyways, he, he gets on the phone and, and, uh, well, 
uh, yeah, I got your, I got your deal. You, you sent me a bunch of those things, buddy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm never, I've been buying from the same guy for 30 years, blah, blah, blah. Sent me all this, you know, give me a, a whole line of, I'll never buy from you basically. And, uh, so anyways, I was like, man, and, uh, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I kind of quit after that. I, I didn't send very much. I think I might've sent one six months later or something. And, uh, long story short, he called me probably two years later after that and said, Hey, listen, I just, it was a, it was a, actually a really sad story, but I just got a bad load of feed. Um, there, they had like a mold in it and it killed, a. a big chunk of his horses and, uh, said, I just got a load of feed and it killed a bunch of my horses. And, uh, you've been bugging me for years. Why don't you come out here and, uh, see what we can do. And now they're, they're one of my top, top three customers. And, uh, they've been buying from me ever since. But I think that that's, that's probably just being different. A lot of people, A, are scared to call on big, big customers or potentially big customers and B, just being different, no matter what it is, whether you're, you know, dancing in a skirt or wearing a wig or, you know, whatever, whatever gets attention. I think, uh, I think that's probably the takeaway. Well, I think that story brings us all the way back to trust and that other vendor lost trust and and there was no going back from that. That's like this most sacred thing. I do have to get my own little story in. I used to be a conductor of chorus and out in Los Angeles and you know, people would always try to get reviews. And that to me was like, reviews are garbage because that's after. I need to get people in the seat. So I <laughs> want to get a profile of this new work we were doing. So uh, I'm sitting there kind of like the Grinch, you know, who stole Christmas. I got to find a way to get this press. How am I going to get this? So I went down, I got this cake made and I uh, I put little signs on it. Opening night It was Friday night and it was the, here and here's where it is, the Carpenter Center and all this. And I bring it down to uh, the LA Times, to the features director. And I go, I have this cake here for uh, Suzanne. And they're like, oh, uh, 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 what's your last name? And I go, Fibs, and, she, and says, oh, well, I don't have you on the list. I go, well, I just need to take it up to him. Like, no, I'll take it up to her. I was like, oh, okay. So um, I leave it. It's a Friday afternoon. And I call her on Monday morning, and I said, uh, and she got through. I got picked up, and, and so Suzanne picked up. And I go, hi, it's Bob Fibs. And she goes, uh, you know, gifts are strongly uh, are forbidden at the Los Angeles Times. And I go, oh, she goes, but the cake was delicious. You'll get your press release. <laughs> Being different. And I'm always shocked when I tell people, send a friggin' bottle of champagne and two glasses to your store opening to the five most influential people that you know. Send it to the bank, send it to him. It's like, well, how will I know if that works? Like, you just got to trust me because we're all bombarded with a bunch of crap. And someone says, I remember when I was the CMO of a coffee franchise and I opened this box and it's a, it's a package of Starbucks. And I was a, obviously a competitor and it just said, yours is better. Let us help you tell the story. And I was like, <laughs> yes, because that's the whole, that's what we're talking about here is how do you cut through the masses. And I think it's the same thing I run into as the retail doc. You know, everyone needs my services, but most say, no, I don't. We've already got someone who does training or whatever. It's like, how are they doing? Much like you, you've got existing customers who, oh, well, they've been with them for 30 years. Yeah, but you don't know unless you ask and unless you constantly be thinking of marketing. And I think that this has been a, a fun time uh, chatting with you, Steve. Um, has the way you thought about retail changed in the past few years, do you think? Yeah, I uh, I kind of always wanted to get out of retail when I first started in it, I guess. But uh, I don't know if I've I've grown comfortable to it, or um, I think I I 
thought that maybe retail was the starting point and then as soon as I can get out of it, I'd like to type of deal. But uh, I, I see a path for retail for years to come. And I've, I've become a lot more comfortable talking about how I not only enjoy retail, but I think that it's a great way to the future of actually making an income and making a, a living is that I don't think that retail can ever die necessarily. I don't think the e-commerce is going to take over the world. Now, of course, you have to adapt and change. Um, just like, you know, I think if you think that, uh, you know, transportation will be around forever, then yes, I agree with that. If you thought the horse and buggy would be around forever, um, that's not necessarily true. So that's kind of how I think about retail. I think that people will always need a localized uh, place to go and transact and do business. Now, whether that's through different avenues and through, you know, computer, but then they come to, you know, <laughs> different, different ways that that can take place depending on your business, of course. Um, but I think that there's always going to be a way that People need a place to to have commerce locally, and that's what I'm most excited about, especially in our business with the nature of our products being heavy and things like that. I don't see where where anybody can actually do that well um, for the long run, and so I'm I'm excited about retail. And I would normally ask you, tell me something good about retail, but you already did that. And it's been a pleasure talking to you, my friend. So we are going to have links. You can follow all of that. So what's the one best uh, place they should follow you? I would say if you're if you're a fan of this show, you'd probably be a fan of my show as well. I just had a very special guest uh, called the the Retail Doctor on my show, actually. But uh, the Better Business Podcast uh, would be probably a place that you might find some uh, find some good helpful advice. Unless you have a horse, then you can you can buy crap from Cook Feed and Outdoor. But there you go. I don't <laughs> refer to your own product as crap, my friend. As you can tell, Steve's got a lot to offer, and I really appreciate our time together, my friend. So best of luck to you in 2022. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com. 